The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. The following is a pre-recorded program. We are continuing to discuss why so many have left the faith in recent years and what we can do to help them. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Line of Fire If you missed yesterday's broadcast, can I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it when you have the opportunity to do so? Uh, When you do, you'll see that we listed a summary of hundreds and hundreds of responses that we received from you on Facebook and Twitter, asking you the question, in your view, why are so many leaving the faith? And some who've left the faith chimed in as well. Thank you for, for being candid and for doing that. So we we listed out the reasons, and then we focused a lot on laying right foundations. Again, the goal was not to condemn, criticize, point fingers, but to be constructive, to to help. Look, if suddenly uh, a lot of people are getting sick with a certain sickness, you're like, well, what's the matter with those people? It's like, oh, why is this happening? How can we help them? So in the same way, when people are losing faith, denying faith, questioning things they never questioned before, walking away from a God to whom they once professed great loyalty, denying a book that they once felt was God's word. We don't want to just say, well, it's, it's wrong, something wrong with you. We want to find out why and help. So we devoted a lot of time yesterday to, to recovering a biblical gospel, a, a, a scriptural gospel that brings conviction, that brings transformation. And then with that, of course, that's the foundation. Then from there, it's a matter of, of helping people become real disciples, of grounding them in, in the Lord. That's why if, if your main diet your main spiritual diet is going to a church service once a week and hearing a message preached, right? This is your main diet, not daily time with God in the Word, not daily communion with God in prayer, not studying the scriptures together with others, family, loved ones, colleagues, home group, Bible study, something, right? And your main diet is a once a week meal you're going to be superficial. Could, could you live in the normal world with one meal a week? Let's take it further. What if the one meal you were getting wasn't even that healthy? What if it was more of a pep talk Christianity? What if it was more of, of a life coach type of preaching and, and, and it sounded more like this person was coming by your side to help you succeed in real estate or get you in, in better aerobic condition or show you how to have a happier life as opposed to, to preaching biblical truth, then, then what would your condition be? So grounding people in the word, helping people be genuine disciples, this makes a big, big difference for the long haul. One of the issues that came up is that people don't feel they could express questions they could, they could exercise, I'm doubting this, I don't know if this is true. And, and I've said many times that sometimes we don't create an environment for that because we're not secure ourselves. Here, honestly, I'll take a call any day, or say any Thursday, right? We're opening the phone lines from a rabbi, from a counter missionary, from a religious Jew, from an educated Jewish person who doesn't believe in Jesus, Yeshua. I take a call any time. If, if there is an opportunity to have a debate, the Messianic claims of Jesus Yeshua with a Jewish person, 
anytime, uh, gladly. Hours, will I take hours of calls for the whole world to hear? Yes, yes, yes. Why? I'm really secure there. I'm really secure knowing that Jesus Yeshua is the Messiah. I'm really secure in explaining how he fulfilled the Messianic prophecies. I'm really secure in that. And if there was any new objection that came up I never heard how to think about, I'm very confident that I'll come up with a good, solid answer from the word and with the wisdom of God. Yeah. Now, if I was doing this with Muslims, Muslim scholars, Muslim theologians, Muslim counter-missionaries, whatever, I would be less confident because I don't know the Quran well. Yeah, I, I can read it in Arabic slowly and I've studied portions of it, but I don't know it well. Do I know the Bible or, or other literature? I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination in Islamic apologetics. And even though I'm confident that over time, well, question, I come up with answers. In fact, I feel it'd be much easier to come up with answers to Islamic objections than Jewish objections for many reasons, many, many, many reasons. But I, I, don't, I can't say, hey, just call them with any objection. I'm ready to answer because I'm not ready right off the bat, right? What if it was an area where I struggled personally? What if I always struggle? This is not the case with science and the Bible. I'm just not sure. I don't know. It's, it's, the Bible seems to contradict science. How can I believe both? That's not my case. That's not my issue. Let's say it was. I wouldn't say, hey, phone lines are wide open. Call with all your scientific objections. Because I'm thinking, I don't know that I have answers. And your objection may shake my faith. So sometimes we're just not secure enough. Friends, we need to come to this place of deep security in God and deep security in his truthfulness so that we're not rattled. When someone else comes with their objection and pro I prayed and I fasted, my child died and you believe in healing too. It's like, oh, don't talk to me about that because it's going to rattle me. I'm praying for my own kid to be healed. Somehow, friends, we need to be deeper in God, more secure in God so, so that, look, you can come to me with every kind of objection and question and I'll say, okay, let's find the answers together. Let's say I was a pastor, a youth pastor. Hey, Let's find the answers there because I know they're there, even if I don't have them. I'm 100% sure of the reality and truthfulness of what I believe. 100% stake my life. I have staked my life on it, as many of you have as well. But I want to show you something fascinating in Job chapter 42. Let's take a look at this. Job chapter 42, after God has finished speaking to Job, Job said in reply, to the Lord. I know that you can do everything, that nothing you propose is impossible for me, for you. This is from the new JPS translation. So he's quoting God's words back to him. Who is this who obscures knowledge, counsel without knowledge? He says, indeed, I spoke without understanding of things beyond me which I did not know. And then quoting from the Lord's words to him again, Hear now, and I'll speak. I will ask, and you will inform me. Now Job confesses again, the Shema Shmaticha. I heard of you with, the hear, with my ears, with the hearing of my ears, literally. But now I see you with my eyes. Therefore I recant and relent being but dust and ashes, or literally on dust and ashes. The Hebrew could well combine both. Now look at this. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, and Job repents and recants and relents because he spoke with ignorance, 
The Lord said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, presumably the oldest of the three friends that came to comfort Job, but then ended up accusing him. I am incensed at you and your two friends for what? You have not spoken the truth about me as did my servant Job? What? Job spoke the truth about God? And then this, now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job. Let's just scroll down a bit and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves and let Job, my servant, pray for you. And notice three times he's called my servant in these verses. For to him I will show favor and not treat you violently since you have not spoken the truth about me as did my servant Job. Wow. How did Job speak the truth about God? And how did the friends not speak the truth? All right, let's, let's understand what these verses are saying. The friends did not speak the truth about God because they painted him in this one-dimensional way that if things go well for you, you're righteous and therefore God is blessing you. If things go poorly for you, you're wicked and therefore God is judging you. Or perhaps he is chastising you so that you can be more righteous, but that's the only possible explanation. One of those two is either judging you or chastising you. There can be no mystery. There can be nothing beyond that. Therefore, Job, well, obviously all your kids died and everything. God must be teaching you a big lesson, but probably you're really wicked. You're really wicked. That misrepresented God. You see, but Job just repented for what he said about God. He just recanted. He just said a couple of chapters earlier, I'm nothing. I'm just, I'm, I'm violence is nothing. So, so how did he speak the truth about God? Well, he knew that something was wrong that the God that he loved and served and worshiped was righteous, and yet what happened to him was unrighteous. That even though he was not a perfect human being, he, God said about him, there's nobody like him on the earth. That's what God said to Hasatan, the adversary. There's nobody like him on the whole earth. Nobody on the planet like Job. He fears God and turns from evil. And, and you read Job's own confession. You read Job's words in Job 31, 32. I, I mean, it's extraordinary the way the man lived. It's extraordinary, the ethics by which he lived. So he knows that what happened to him is contrary to the nature of God. And who actually carries it out? It's Hasatan, Satan, the adversary, that brings all the destruction on him. And God says to the devil, you're moving me to destroy him, Chinam, without cause, for no reason. That's what God says in the second chapter. Job realizes that, and he appeals to God, and, and, and he's challenging God. He speaks foolishly because he accuses God of being a moral monster. He accuses God of being behind all the wickedness in, in the world. He accuses God of personally attacking him and wanting to destroy him and hating him, and, and always had him singled out waiting for this moment when he was going to destroy him. He paints a false picture of God and speaks falsely and speaks ignorantly because what does Job know? And God begins to say, come on, where were you when I, when I created the world? And tell me, where the mountain goats, when the, you know, and how do they conceive? And when are the babies coming? You don't know anything, Job. You don't know what happens. You got to tell me how to run my universe. You can't even tell me the rain comes down. Or, you don't know any of this, Job. But Job was right in saying that God had to set things straight. As it's often been said, he fled from God to God. And, and he pleaded his case to God. And said, there's a witness. There's, there's a, there's, someone's going to testify on my behalf. And ultimately, I know my Redeemer is going to stand up for me. Was he thinking of a of, of Messiah-like figure, an intermediary, an angelic figure, God himself? Different passages seem to go in different directions. But ultimately, he was saying, I know God's going to do what's right. He has to. 
and I'm challenging him to do it. And, and, and if, if I could stand trial before him and argue my case, I'd be righteous. I'd come out right. The, the friends attacked Job saying, you're trying to make yourself more righteous than God. And, and in a sense, he was like, I'm in the right, you're in the wrong. But behind it, the idea that the God of the universe is a God who brings justice was right. So here's the thing. God put the book of Job in the Bible for a reason. And God put books like Ecclesiastes with its cynicism and skepticism in the Bible for a reason. And God put Psalms of desperation and hopelessness and despair and pain in the Bible for a reason. And we need to allow people to express what these books express and go on the journeys that this book, these books speak of and tell them it's okay to doubt and have questions. It's okay to ask hard questions. It's okay to even question the goodness of God. Let's get you through it so you encounter him and find out how good and majestic he really is. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today on the Line of Fire. Hey, my regular reminder, don't forget to go to vitaminmission.com. When you're ordering these wonderful health supplements from Dr. Stangler, don't just do it for yourself. Get some for friends, family, loved ones, holiday presents, especially if you know someone, they're, they're trying to change their diet, they're trying to change their lifestyle, you want to encourage them, they want to strengthen their immune system, go to vitaminmission.com, check out what's there. Friends, we were on the radio over 13 years before we ever worked with a sponsor and ever, ever found the right sponsor to work with. So Dr. Stengler, voted by Association of Professionals in America's Doctor of the Decade, is my personal medical doctor as well. In, in my view and understanding, the nation's leading naturopathic doctor. So as health supplements, they, they really are second to none. The way they're put together, the way they're manufactured, the standards by which they have to be produced, what's in them, the proper dosages to get you the desired results. You're not just taking an empty pill. So go to vitaminmission.com. There's a special code to use. You'll see it right there on the homepage. Use that code. You get a 10% discount. And not only so, with every order, there's a donation made to our ministry. So I've been so excited to announce these to you because I want to see you thriving and healthy just as I am. So I've been really excited to, to announce this to you. And with it, excited that you get this discount. And then blessed as well that our ministry gets a donation to help us reach more people. God willing, in, in 2022, we are really looking to expand the Line of Fire broadcast. We are really looking to get it in many places where it's not being heard. So as you order from Dr. Stengler, you're actually helping us do that as well. Sounds like win-win, doesn't it? So that's vitaminmission.com. All right, as, as we continue to dig into why so many people are falling away, we... we, we and yesterday's show went through a summary of, of all of the comments that you made on social media, the main comments and main themes and main statements that were made. Then we focused on digging uh, deeper foundations with a healthy gospel message, the importance of making disciples, 
the last segment, we talked about books like Job, Ecclesiastes. They're in the Bible for a reason, because this is the human experience. And many do go through severe trials, and many do question God. Rather than us getting scandalized by someone questioning God, let's recognize the pain that they're in. You know, there's the saying that there are many atheists and their views boil down to there is no God and I hate him. Yeah, I mean, that when you probe deeper, they're upset because they feel, I believe this doctrine for years. I put my whole life in it. And we believed and we prayed for the, for the healing of my spouse. I fought for her healing for years and years. And I stood on the word and she got worse and worse and sicker and sicker and she died. And then I was told I didn't have enough faith. I, I don't need this stuff. And, and you walk away and it's the pain that carries you away. And then maybe over a period of time, intellectually, you, you, you fortify your, your non-belief, right? Many times it's because of pain. There is a, a, a brother who lives in, in Bethlehem and he is a Christian and a great friend of Israel and the Jewish people. And he, he lost his son to cancer. And when he tells the story, when I, when I had, had a meal with him face to face in Bethlehem and he shared his story, it's, it's always with tears. And, and it, it's just a hellish battle. And this kid just kept joking and smiling and trying to overcome through it and overcome it, uh, everything, the cancer, the depression, you know, everything that would come with it, just a trooper, a fighter. And he ultimately lost him. And honestly, I, I haven't been through that. Lost people close to me, but never a child. So I, I, I can honestly say I don't know how agonizing it would be. I can imagine, but I don't know. All right. So those of you who have lost children, you can't speak to that. And what he found in his church was a lot of superficiality in terms of response. He was, praise the Lord, everything's going to be fine. And then when it didn't go fine, kind of being in denial and him agonizing and wrestling with it and and when he began to, to look at Jewish spirituality, he found a certain rawness. He found a certain ability to wrestle with God in the tradition of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, who I believe is, is Messiah pre-incarnate there in Genesis 32. But, but he, he, he saw this, this raw, honest spirituality that would say, God, I don't, I don't like you today. I'm struggling. And then we'd come back to worship and adore him. In, in fact, Elie Wiesel tells a story from the Holocaust that for many, it'll be scandalous when you hear it, but, but please hear it out, okay? It was during the Holocaust, so again, unimaginable sufferings and watching whole communities just wiped out, wiped out, literally, here today and gone the next, wiped out, exterminated, horrors beyond imagination, and a group of, of Jewish men, many of them from traditional backgrounds, so they're praying regularly and, and doing their best to be observant in the midst of the hell they're living in in the concentration camps. They meet together and they bring God to trial and they find him guilty of committing crimes against the Jewish people. And after coming to that conclusion, they went to evening prayer and worshiped and adored him as God. You say, I don't get that. Well, it's, it's difficult for us to conceive the whole circumstance in which they lived and died and, and, and the hell that they experienced. But they were basically saying, from our perspective, God, you're guilty and you let us down. Nonetheless, we know you're God and we worship you and you're worthy of praise. A deep contradiction, yes, for sure, but something that was part of their spirituality. 
this brother is a Christian. He is a Jesus-loving follower of Jesus. He is not converted to Judaism, but he moved over to Israel and lives in Bethlehem in solidarity with Israel because he found a certain honesty in spirituality there. So we've got to cultivate that honesty. Parents, can I encourage you to cultivate honesty with your kids, to say, hey, if you're struggling with something, or if you don't agree with mom and dad on this, let's talk about it. Or if you're having questions about the Bible being real, or your friends maybe mock you for this, or when you pray, you don't know if God's really there, hey, let's, let's talk about it. It's fine. It's okay. Cultivate honesty. It's so crucial. And then if your kids raise things that like, wow, I don't have an answer for that. Tell them, you know, that is a great question. I never thought about it. So I'm, I'm just going to do some thinking. I want to pray too. And then, then we'll talk some more. And if you don't have an answer, then, then reach out to others. Call the show. You know, let us be a resource. And, and, and we'll get the answers together. But let's cultivate an attitude of honesty in the body. Let me, let me go back to the, to the list here. So again, many said, People going along with family traditions, never getting genuinely saved. So it's important to make sure that someone's raised in the faith. Not that you put them under pressure to, quote, say a prayer, but you you really pray for them to really be converted, really experience God, really be born again, really come to know the Lord. And for others that are just really into the apologetics and the defense of the faith, make sure they have a born-again experience. Make sure they're walking with the Lord and enjoy fellowship with God. Because otherwise, they're going to run into other intellectual experiences or have some life crisis, and, and they're, going to, they're going to lose whatever little faith they have. Let's just see here. Uh, yeah, personal traumas and pain. How could God allow these things to happen to them? You want to affirm to someone, yeah, I could understand why you're struggling. You don't, please hear me. You don't want to give cheap answers to a person in pain. You don't want to give trite answers. You don't just want to quote a scripture, even if the scripture you're quoting is true. Please hear me now. Even if what you're quoting is true, it may not be time for that truth. Again, let us not give cheap answers to people in pain. Let us not give superficial answers answers. When it comes to many people falling away now because of biblical teaching on sexuality, in my book, Has God Failed You? And by the way, there's a whole chapter in Has God Failed You? Dealing with the book of Job and unpacking in greater depth some of the things that we just talked about in the first segment about the book of Job. Uh, there's a whole chapter on that. And if you want to really dig deep into Job, I have a whole commentary on Job. Job, the faith to challenge God. That's the subtitle. A new translation and commentary. Depends on how deep you want to dig. But here's the point when it comes to uh, to these issues and these questions. And, and I have whole chapters dealing with them and has God failed you? I take two chapters dealing with is the Bible outdated, bigoted, homophobic, misogynistic, etc.? And is the God of the Old Testament in particular, angry, genocidal, in the description of Richard Dawkins that I interact with. So the fact is, God's ways are best. And what we want to do, and what I try to do in the book, is explain how amazingly God ordered us, how amazingly he made the human body, 
how amazingly he designed us as male and female. And then the purpose of his design and the exquisite exactness of his design and how when we work with his design, it is best for the human race. So it's not a matter of hatred, bigotry, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia. It's not that at all. It's rather saying God made us male and female for divine purposes. God made us a specific way to flourish, and God's ways are best. But we must realize, friends, the younger generation in particular has been incredibly bombarded, incredibly bombarded with LGBTQ activist thinking from preschool through university, from social media to media, Hollywood TV, peers bombarded. And they have been influenced far more than many of us realize. Therefore, we've got to get in the trenches with them, help them to understand God's ways, God's ways being best. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We continue to discuss your thoughts on why so many people have fallen away from the Lord in recent years. Definitely a spike and increase more than we have seen in my memory as I'm 50 years in the Lord now. I've never seen it on this scale. Is it the final apostasy Jesus spoke of? Could be. It could be. A whole lot would have to happen for that to be true. And, and it also make me wonder, uh, will this be taking place at the exact same time as Great Harvest? Because there's massive harvest taking place around the world. But for sure, it is, it is a serious time of falling away. And, and therefore, we need to address it head on and not live in denial. I, I was speaking at a church in California, maybe seven, 8,000 members. And one of the pastoral leaders said to me that none of his children, all of whom were either older teens or young adults, so 19, 20, early 20s, he said not one of his kids, they're all raised in church, agreed with him on what the Bible said about homosexuality. That's how much they had been influenced by the culture. And that's why many have fallen away, because like you're making me choose between my best friends and, and your Bible, his old Bible with all these old things in it and God destroying whole races of people and wiping out the earth and all that. I'll, I'll, I'll stay with my friends. I'm going to be nice to my friends and they're nice people. Why does God hate them so much? That's how they're thinking. And if you don't recognize that and realize that, you may lose them, at least for a season. Yeah. It could, or if you don't realize the internal struggles they're facing and questions they now have. Look, there, there was a survey done earlier this year, and I wrote about it, which indicated a massive spike among Gen Z young people, all right? So many teenagers, early 20s now, and, and this massive spike as to how many of them identified as, as bisexual. It's just, even with the millennials, it was nowhere near this. Well, this constant influence and this constant celebration and this constant, it goes all different ways and whatever, an experiment and kids coming into their own sexuality and trying to find out who they even are. doesn't even mean they, they've had same-sex encounters, but that's how they identify. For some, it's just a cool thing. Now, now here's what's interesting. I'm just going to see if I can find this now. I'm going to type in Newsweek, 
Barna poll LGBT, whoops, LGBT Gen Z. So here's a Barna poll. Yeah, look at this. A friend sent me this a couple weeks ago. Uh, are you ready? This is Paul Bond, Newsweek, October 10th. Nearly 40% of Gen Zs, 30% of young Christians identify as LGBTQ poll shows. This is the degree of cultural shift. You know, many years ago, there were some cultural leaders who made the statement that the homosexual population cannot grow by reproduction, so it has to grow by seduction. And of course, that got people very angry as if uh, gays were mainly sexual predators of children. And, and, and in some ways that it was not talking about being a sexual predator, it was talking about what's being taught, the influence, that was the emphasis. But the way it was said, seduction versus reproduction, uh, offended people to the point they didn't even look at what was being said. Perhaps the better way to say it is because the homosexual population will not grow by reproduction. And on average, a gay couple is not going to have anywhere near the number of kids that a straight couple is going to have on average just because of the difficulties and challenges of bringing a child into the world as a gay couple, right? So it won't grow primarily by reproduction, but by indoctrination. That, that remains true. And the indoctrination is massive. You say, well, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to print verses in bold, and I'm going to staple them to the wall of my kid's bedroom. And every day they're going to, oh, and, and that's going to win their heart over. That's going to change their thinking. A an angry approach of shouting scripture at them. No, that's not going to do it. But we must pray for them, realizing the pressure that they're under. We must recognize they're growing up in a different world compared to the world in which we grew up. Here, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, you know, I've got a very intense schedule. Many of you know that. And sometimes while flying, I'm normally resting a little and then writing and editing or reading when I fly. But sometimes like chill time and, and you get free entertainment. So I'm just going to see, okay, is there, is there a family-friendly movie? Maybe some action-adventure thing, but not some R-rated thing. You know, I don't want, I don't want full of profanity, nudity, sex scenes, gratuitous violence. You know, if, it, if, it's, if violence is part, like there's a war scene or something like that, and, and this is part of, you know, reality that's being conveyed, that's not my issue. But there's the violence for entertainment's sake, and there's the gore and the, and the harm. Stuff. Okay, so trying to find something. It's like, oh, cool. Jungle Cruise is now out. I'd seen it advertised over the summer online, all these ads popping up and Dwayne, the Rock Johnsons, this, this boat pilot going down the Amazon, this whole adventurous thing. So I thought, oh, okay, cool. This should fit the bill. So I'm watching it. You got this one sister, which she's a doctor in chemistry and, or, or, something, or something, botany, something like that. And she's courageous and fearless and intrepid. She's even a fighter, you know, and, and she wants to go in the Amazon to, to discover this cure. It's going to heal diseases and everything's going to be amazing. And her brother is coming along and he's totally wimpy and just, oh, it's just got to have all this luggage and care and he's prissy and all this. And so it turns out that there's a dialogue at one point with Dwayne Johnson and, and the brother, right? The Rock and the, the brother. And he's, you know, why'd you follow your sister here? You come up with any number of reasons, right? Just think, come up, create a reason why you followed her. Well, 
he had these three proposals he had to turn down because his interests lie elsewhere. So you're saying you're gay? Is that what the issue is? And then, and then, he says, it's, I, I, all my family turned their back on me because of who I love, except for my sister. She stood with me. So that's why he's, he's out on, the, uh, on this death-defying mission with her. Now, it, it adds nothing to the story. Zero. It adds nothing to the plot. You could have come up with a thousand other reasons to say why he was with her if, if the question came up legitimately, right? It has nothing. Zero. And by the way, I've been reading up on it now once I saw it. And for the most part, when this came out of the summer, gay critics said, this is not enough. Disney, come on. You got to give us more than this. This, this is heterosexually oppressed company. What are you doing? So, so it didn't win them friends uh, for, for doing it. It's like, too little, too late kind of feeling. That was, the, that, that was the response they got. And then I'm thinking, the guy's a stereotypical, caricatured, effeminate, prissy gay man. That, what, is it, what good does that do? Who does, how does that help anybody's cause, right? And then later on, there are these double entendre jokes uh, about crude sexual acts, crude homosexual acts. Yeah. And the kids aren't going to get it, but it's obviously uh, the parents will get it. Oh, wonderful. Good job, Disney. But this is the world in which your kids are being raised and where Batman is bi and, and, and Catwoman or whoever can be lesbian or this one can be trans superhero. This is the world they're growing up in. We must talk about the issues. Here, you got teenagers, Tom Gilson, G-I-L-S-O-N. My colleague, Tom Gilson, has an excellent book, an excellent book that deals with critical conversations to have with your kids about these issues. My book, Can You Be Gay and Christian, digs into the word about this. In Has God Failed You? I, I interact with this in perspective of the beauty of God's order and what he's put together. You're going to have to help your kids sort these things through, either in their own personal struggles or just how to work out being in a culture that's completely on a different page with us. And you can't simply take for granted that your kids hold to these views. It's really important to help them get them grounded and then they can navigate these waters and come out just fine. Uh, the scandals in the church, from the sex scandals in the Catholic church to major scandals in the evangelical church and beyond. Uh, and look, I, I'm not here to throw stones. I'm not here to condemn. But it's, it's widespread from like celebrity pastor to leading educator apologist, you know, the powerful preacher, you know, whatever, the worship leader that it's just across the board, non-charismatic, charismatic, across the board. These things hurt. These things make Jesus look bad. Either people associate him with all this and turn away. If this is the church, if this is this Jesus faith, I want nothing to do with it. Or they, they say, I don't want anything with the organized church. I still believe in Jesus, but I'm dropping out of organized church because they're all a bunch of hypocrites. So, so how do you address that? You recognize that a lot of damage has been done. You recognize that the name of the Lord has suffered a lot of reproach. You really make it a, a matter of prayer. that God would be jealous for his holy name. I have a whole chapter on that in Revival or We Die. Do you not know that your honor is at stake? So, so, so we deal with that. We deal with that. 
so we pray for the for the restoration of the honor of the name of the Lord in the midst of, of these people, for his name to be hallowed, right? The first petition in the Lord's prayer. But then reach out to people and say, hey, that's the aberration. Look, really, I, I want you to meet these other believers. They're really solid people. Hey, check out my church here or my congregation here because I've known the leaders for years. They're people of integrity. They're humble. A pastor is, is, is a very, very decent human being. And, and hey, I know you've been hurt. And, and maybe you've been hurt in four different places. And you think that I'm telling you, it's completely aberrant. It's, it's almost like the devil's got an assignment to take you out, but we're not going to let him take you out. Show him the real thing. Don't build into the skepticism. Yeah, all organized religion is bad and you need to stay away from it. Say, yeah, there's a lot of corruption and power often corrupts, money corrupts, fame corrupts. But listen, the real gospel is being lived out. Take into some ministries that really help the poor, the needy, the hurting. Say, hey, let's get involved here. Let's do some practical service together. Let's live out the gospel together. And then hopefully little by little as they see genuine people around them and people living out their faith together and people who really care, and people who are willing to make sacrifice, uh, sacrifices for the good of others, then little by little their confidence is restored. And little by little they realize, hey, there really is a Savior who really does change lives. And he really does have a people. And then say, look, look in your own heart. Have you failed people? Have you let people down? Have you had sinful, wrong, destructive thoughts? Hey, if you have, listen, that's human nature. That's why we need a savior. These leaders who fell, the human beings, we pray for their restoration. Same with you. Don't condemn yourself. But come to God for redemption, help, and say, I know, I know there's a better way. Look, these are practical things we can do to help people re- recover their faith, return to faith, get strong again in the Lord. So let's stand together. Let's do it. Okay, I've got one more segment. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome to The Line of Fire, friends, as we are here to encourage you, strengthen you, see you healthy, thriving in the Lord, bearing fruit that will last, living the grace of God flooding your life. You know, God called us to be overcomers more than conquerors. That means there are going to be obstacles. Yes, Welcome, welcome to the broadcast. This is our last segment talking about why many people leave the faith, interacting with the hundreds of comments that you posted on Facebook and Twitter about this, and how we can help them recover their faith. You know, uh, tragically, the name of Ravi Zacharias is, is very bad in, in, it tastes very bad in people's mouths when they say it now, leaves a bad taste because of the scandals associated with him. And, and of course, Oh, every victim, everyone that was hurt, we grieve over that for sure. I do want to reference something he said, though. When he, he, he wrote a book, Has Christianity Failed You? He explained that he, he held this event, a place that seated several thousand people, if I recall. And it was for people, if you left your faith, you're struggling in your faith, and the demand was massive. He was shocked by how many people came and showed up. In other words, it was deeper than he realized. 
the the needs were deeper. The situation was worse. And that was some years ago, and it's gotten worse since. So what are some of the issues? Again, a superficial gospel, what's in it for me message, compromised message has produced false converts and shallow converts, an inability for us to be spiritually honest and cultivate an environment where people can come with their doubts and questions, uh, a message that mixes truth with error and basically tells someone that it's just going to be a smooth ride, smooth sailing, give your life to Jesus and everything goes well. And when it doesn't go well, well, what do you do? You question Jesus, you question the Bible. What we should question is, did I hear the message accurately? Or does the Bible paint a very different picture? It paints a very different picture, but one that says no matter what you go through, no matter what hell on earth comes your way, no matter what horrific losses you sustain, God's grace can carry you through. God's grace is sufficient. Years back, read a painful, shocking, horrific, horrific story. Mom and dad with a large family in their van. They had some older kids, then some years went by, then a bunch of younger kids. This is this large Christian family. They're on the highway. There's a, a guy illegally driving a truck in front of them. Notice he wasn't licensed to drive that vehicle. He had a, a metal pole stuck in the back of the truck. It became dislodged, hit the road, bounced into their van. The van was set on fire. The parents sustained burns to their hands, but all their kids were killed. All the kids were killed. And, and one of them, they, 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 they airlifted by helicopter. You know, the boy had always wanted to be in a helicopter. Well, here he is, traumatic burns, airlifted on a helicopter, but he dies. And, and I followed this. And, and I, I, I read the quotes from the parents, still trusting God. And there they are at the funeral service with all the caskets and, and, and they're with their bandaged hands and still worshiping God. And, and it, it, was, it was very intense to watch and overwhelming to think. Again, I can't imagine what, what, what they lived through. Yet God's grace being with them, you think, okay, but what's going to happen in a year or two or three how are they going to be doing? When, when reality sets in, maybe they're being carried by some type of euphoria, of, of denial of reality or something, right? Who knows what? Or the emotions are all over the place or massive prayer support, and that's going to die out. So I read some years after that quotes and the mother basically saying, it was only God's grace that allowed him to live through something like that and years later to still be worshiping. In, in other words, in the natural, they wouldn't have made it. How many couples, when they, when they go through a terrible trauma of losing a child, they don't, their marriage doesn't survive? Because the agony and the pain is too great, and the questioning or the blaming or blaming themselves or just the emotions get out of control. And here, they suffer this loss, and they go on, and the Lord God's grace carries us. So rather than denying we're going to go through hard times, rather let's preach the truth and prepare people for hard times and say no matter what, God's grace sustains, and yes, he does heal, and he does deliver, and he does protect, and he does bless. And yet often things go the opposite of what we expect. This is when we can find God even more deeply. The church through history has often understood this. The persecuted church, the church in, in countries not as well off as America understands this often a lot better than we do. Oh, let's just see here. Um, yeah, the, the rise of atheism. 
the rise of atheism. It, it's almost 10 years ago now, or, or is, it, is it longer? Uh, what was called the year of the atheist? Let me just see exactly when that was. The, the year of the atheist. See if it comes up as a specific year. Uh, okay, when was atheism born? Will 2012 be the year of the atheist? Yeah, it could be about a dozen years ago. Um, what, what happened was that suddenly books by people like Richard Dawkins, the, the British scientist and professor, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, these books became bestsellers. Some of Dawkins' Dawkins book, for example, The God Delusion, was a bestseller on religion list for years and years and years. Christopher Hitchens' God is Not Great. And, and this stuff just filtered down into the larger culture. So first, lots and lots and lots of people were reading the books and questions were being raised for them. And then the, the memes, the quotes, the ideas were filtering down. So you get young people talking about, yeah, the Bible is like a Bronze Age book about a Bronze Age God, this tribal deity. Where'd they get that from? This stuff filtered down. In, in fact, I've often quoted this, that Josh McDowell has said that objections that he ran into and would commonly uh, confront on college campuses, encounter on college campuses, he was now, he was now encountering with kids 12, 13 years old. So apologetics has been there. Good, solid apologetic answers to atheists has been there for years, but often the church has not known about the resources or felt the need for the resources. So we've got to strengthen our apologetics. We've got to understand the issues that folks are going through and then provide the resources for them. By the way, uh, I have not read the book. It came out in 2017. But it's Justin Brierley. I've been on his show a number of times. Unbelievable. It's just this fabulous show with dialogue between atheists and believers or Christians with different backgrounds or a rabbi and a believer and Jesus and so on. Uh, so it's an unbelievable broadcast. Unbelievable, question mark, why after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. I've got to, I've got to get Justin on the air one day. I've, I've been on his show a number of times. In fact, I was on his show actually in their little studio there in England. One more thing to tackle, though. Josh McDowell has spoken about this a lot as well. One reason why many have fallen away is the ubiquity of sin, the sinful opportunities, decadent opportunities. It's not just the, the flood of opiates into America. It's, it's not just legalized pot. It's, it's not just some of the, the drug addiction epidemic that, that is destroying so many lives. But the ubiquity of porn and, and, and sexually explicit and illicit material, illicit in God's sight, uh, it's, it's everywhere. And if there is not increased vigilance, you know, it, it, it's, it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're a professional athlete. You're the fastest, you know, person in your state. And you're competing against uh, kindergarten children. You can walk and beat them. You know, you're competing against high school athletes. You got to push a little. You're competing against the best athletes in the nation. You better get in the best shape you've ever been. Well, a lot of us are living as if we're competing against kindergarten children, to use the analogy. 
In other words, we don't realize the epidemic that's there. It just like fell into the whole of it. And and look, I've often said this, but there's stuff available now that little kids are encountering at eight years old that I didn't know existed in my worst decadent, most sinful days as a heroin shooting 15, 16 year old kid. It's there. It's there just with a click of a mouse or touch of a screen. And it's ubiquitous. And it goes from sick to sicker to things that a normal person could not imagine. I don't even want to know about, but it's out there. And then with that, just the millions of other distractions, the constant options. I mean, you may have cable TV and 300 channels like, ah, nothing good to watch. There's just the saturation. I mean, then constant sports and everything. So something's more neutral. Something's explicitly sinful. They're all out there. We must cultivate discipline and holiness and separation. And we must teach God's grace that forgives and empowers. Otherwise, we will get swallowed up as well. Otherwise, because iniquity abounds, our love will wax cold as well. These are some of the things that are destroying the faith of many. The good news is God continues to build his church. Jesus continues to build his messianic congregation. Jew and Gentile, one in the Messiah, full of the Spirit. He continues to build his ecclesia. And the gates of hell, death itself, will not prevail against him. So there is more than enough in God for every single one of us to overcome. Let us take hold of his grace and let us offer that grace and help to everyone in need. And the, the most relevant book I've written on this, Has God Failed? Has God Failed? Finding faith and you're not even sure God is real. You get it on our website, askrickybrown.org. I hope this is helpful. The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network.